Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, just bow your heads with me uh, one more time. Just ask that as we've continued to do uh, morning after morning and night after night, that you'd enter into just like a posture um, for you to receive whatever that looks like for you. If it's open hands out in front of you, um, we've talked about that, whatever that looks like. And I want you to take a moment and just pray for tonight's service, to pray that God would speak to you, that God would, would, would meet the, the deepest desires of your hearts, that he would make you aware of the places that maybe you need him to be, that you need his light to be exposed to that. But I want you to take a moment and pray. Ask him, Lord, would you prepare my heart for tonight? God, would you clear my mind of any distraction that I might have brought in here? Lord, would you give me ears to hear your word in a new and fresh way? Would you give me eyes to see what responding to you could look like in my life? Ask him, God, would you make me courageous? Would you make me bold? Lord, would you silence the, the lies, the shame, anything that, that the enemy is trying to use to distract me away from the truth of who you are? Spend some time talking to the Lord for just a minute. Yeah, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and for what you've done. Um, God, tonight as we open your word, we just ask that, that it wouldn't just be words on a piece of paper or a tradition that we have, God, but that it would be the very life in our lungs, Lord. That we would see you and your power and your presence through the scriptures, God, that we would experience more of you. Lord, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but that it would grab hold of our hearts, that it would engage our wills. And Lord, that lives would never be the same because of how you met us here tonight. Lord, that communities would never be the same, that, that nations would never be the same. Because of you, because of an outpouring of your spirit. And Lord, we praise you ahead of time for what you're going to do. And it's in your son's beautiful, precious, and holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I remember uh, it was like it was yesterday. All right, this was one of the biggest moments of my athletic career up to this point. And I remember like trying to go to bed that night and I'm laying in bed and my mind is just racing of all the things I'm going to have to do to be successful. And did I do all the stuff? I'm, th I'm overthinking. I'm thinking about who we're playing against. I'm thinking about the competitors and I'm thinking about all this stuff that's going on. And I just like, I cannot sleep. I'm restless in bed, and, and, and I look at my clock, and like every 30 minutes, and time is going by so slow. Finally, the alarm goes off. I shoot out of bed. I go get dressed. I pack my bag for the game, and, and, I, and I leave, and I get dressed. I'm going to give my mom a hug. I tell her bye. I do all the stuff, and then I go get on the bus. And I remember as I'm riding on, on the bus to school, I'm like, man, like I wish I didn't have to go to school on days like this. Like This is just going to distract me from my mission. 
because today I'm trying to be victorious. So I'm riding the bus, and I've got the headphones in, and I've got the, you know, vibes are at all-time high for whatever you're in. Like, everybody's got their song, right? Who's an athlete in here? Who plays a sport in here, right? You've got your thing. You already know what song I'm talking about when I say, like, the song is on in your head, right? And there's vomit on your sweater already. It's your mom's spaghetti. You're just doing the whole thing, and you're just rocking out, and you're like, man, I am ready to do whatever it takes to be victorious. Like, I'm just jamming on the bus, and, like, just it's overly aggressive probably, but I'm just locked in. I walk into school, I've got to go to English, I've got to go to math, I've got to go to science, and I'm doing all this stuff. I'm not really paying attention, but I'm doing what it takes, and I'll never forget when the bell rang and I knew it's time. It's time. The bell rang. I headed to the locker room. I got on my my clothes and the stuff I needed. I tied up my shoes. To this minute, this was one of the biggest moments of my whole entire athletic career. Everything I had thought I was as an athlete had led to this. And it was the 7th versus 8th grade dodgeball championship. All right? 7th versus 8th grade dodgeball championship. I'm a 7th grader at a brand new school. All right? And for those of you that have already checked out, you're like, dodgeball, you've been there. I watched all of you play 3v3 today. All right? You take things that aren't serious way too serious as well. Okay? So, um, but we're doing that 7th and 8th grade, and I'm locked in. I'm like, all right, Dalton Barnes. That is public enemy number one. All right, Dalton Barnes has to go. That is the whole objective of our team is if we can get him out, it's over. If we can just, if we can get him out, it's game over. We're going to win this championship. We're going to bring pride to the underclassmen. It's going to be a beautiful moment. You've been there, right? You play dodgeball in South Africa? Same thing, right? And you're just different, dodging bodies. But we're doing the thing, and, and we get set on the line, and they put the balls out, and we're locked in. And as you can tell, I'm more of the, hey, will you get me one when you get up there kind of guy, right? I'm not the dude that's running to the line. I'm the guy that stands next to the fast guy and asks him to get two, all right? That's just my mentality, but I'm like, hey, throw me one back. I'll cover you. That way you can get, we're going to do the thing. And so my buddy, Thomas, he gets up there. He gets the ball. He throws it back. The minute I catch the ball, I lock in. There he is, Dalton Barnes, public enemy number one. So I'm locked in. He's kind of moving around. He's doing the thing, right? He's the best athlete at our school. I'm brand new, and I've got to prove to these people I belong. So I'm locked in on him, and I'm walking around, like, using small girls as shields, right? I'm doing the whole thing. People are getting hit left and right, and finally I see him, and I make my move. He's not, he doesn't see me coming. I get the ball to right here. I'm about to throw it, and I get pieced up right in the chest, And so uh, I had to go stand on the sideline for the whole 7th and 8th grade dodgeball championship. I was one of the first people out. So I'm standing on the sideline, and all of my shame, like embarrassment, failure, like everything I'd done up to this, like I I listened to the song, I I did all, I'm just standing on the sideline watching. And I'm the guy that's like, catch a ball, why do you stink so bad? Catch the ball. So like, you know, you guys know the guy in dodgeball. Do you guys play dodgeball in the South? What is happening here? Okay, that's what you guys look like, all right? Dodgeball. You ever played it? We should play it this week. I'll kill you. Um, so, but we're playing. I'm standing on the sideline. I'm just watching this thing. But then there was the moment. You guys know what I'm talking about? The moment? In every dodgeball game, the moment? When you see your gym teacher stand up as he sees the game get to a lull, and he yells the phrase, jailbreak, and it's 
Everybody that's out is back in. The game is brand new. It's on, and we're about to get after it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The jailbreak moment. Every, all my defeat, all my shame, all my loss, every failure I had in that moment stayed on the sideline because I was back in the game. We had a jailbreak. And I remember I run onto the court. I find another small girl to hide behind, and I'm doing the whole thing. I got hit in the face. I was out again, um, and we lost. But... I say all that to say, I believe that there could be a jailbreak available for you. I think there's a lot of us that showed up to this camp, a lot of us that are living our life standing on the sideline, a lot of us living our life stuck in the shame and the defeat and the failure and comparing ourselves to everybody else, and we can't see who we actually are because we just think we lost. And we've settled in to a posture of defeat. And we've decided, yeah. And every now and then we're like, well, maybe, maybe something will happen. I'll get back. But we're stuck. And I believe that there's a jailbreak available for you. I believe that Scripture teaches that there is a second chance. There is a second new life available for you. And it's so much bigger than a dumb game of dodgeball. But I think what has happened and what I've been observing, if I can just be honest with you guys, that's why you want an honest preacher, right? You don't want me to come up here and just tell you what you want to hear. At least I hope. That might be what's wrong with our culture today. As we just surround ourselves with preachers that tell us what we want to hear and when we want to hear it. And if we can make sure that we can just groom that person to be exactly what we want them to be, then I can actually still live the life I've always wanted to live and not have to change anything about myself or the kingdom of God. But I digress, okay? I'm going to be the preacher that tells you the truth. I'm going to be the preacher that holds you to a standard. I'm going to be the preacher that tells you what I see. I think there are a lot of people sitting underneath this tabernacle right now that are stuck. I think there are a lot of people sitting on this tabernacle that are just in the everyday mundane rhythm of defeat. And we've decided this is just my life. This is who I am. There's nothing better for me. And we get in the rhythm and we do the things and sure, we showed up to the camp meeting and we're excited, but it's only been a couple days, so can God really be moving in my life if it's only been two or three days? I don't really know. And we're just stuck. And God is there and he's offering you freedom. He is offering you a way out. But we've gotten complacent and we've gotten comfortable in our defeat. We've decided if death is the way, at least it's the way I know. Because for me to experience new life, maybe I'll have to change. And I'd rather be comfortable than live. And morning after morning and night after night, we've presented the gospel to you at bedtime stories. We're seeing the word of God proclaimed to you in a beautiful way, telling you that there is something new for your life. There's something outside of just this cultural Christianity, this check-the-box faith, and there is something radically new for you, that you don't have to exist in the sin and the shame and the death and the darkness that we've settled into, but that there is a way of exit, there is a way of rescue, and it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that he's calling us out of complacency, out of comfort, out of death, out of sin, out of shame, and into new life. But that might be risky. That might cost me something. 
Ephesians chapter 2, I think, speaks to this in a really beautiful way. And I understand. I'm going to preach a passage here similar to Paul last night. That you have every reason, church kids, to say, I've heard it. I'm good. You have every reason to say, I've heard the verse. I know the verse. I've probably got it memorized. I did it at my Sunday school. I'm good. But I want to point us to some language that Paul uses in here that points us to the fact of, are you really good? Are you really good? Now, I don't want to get to the place of saying everyone in here isn't saved. That's not what I'm saying. I believe that there are some people in this room that love Jesus, that are submitted to Christ, that, that love his word, and it is the authority for their life, and they are actively making disciples. They are known by the way they're loving their communities, their families, their home. They're known by their love. They're following Christ's commandments. Their life is built on him alone. I believe that. I believe there are people here at this camp that love Jesus, that are disciples of Jesus, but I believe there are some people in this camp that think they are and aren't. I'm just going to be honest. That's why I'm here, right? My job isn't to come here and be your friend, necessarily, if friend is what we say the cultural friend is, which is somebody that just approves of what I do. No, I'm going to be your brother. I'm going to be someone that loves you enough to tell you the truth, that says, you know what, there's another way for your life. There's another way. Some of you in here, you're getting after it. Keep getting after it. But some of you, and you know who you are, you're playing a game. You're playing a game. You're answering the right questions when your counselors are around. But at the end of the day, when it's just you and your friends, you know who you are. Let's just be real. Right? That's what we do now, right? Be real. Right? My wife would be so mad at me if she knew I did that. Please don't tell her. You promise you won't tell her? All right, we're just, yeah. We're not going to tell her, okay. But some of us in here, we can answer the questions at small group, but as soon as the leader leaves the dorm, you know. You know. We can sit in here and stand up front and sing the songs and join with the worship band. But as soon as I get my phone back in my hand, you know. You know. I can come to the camp meeting for 10 days and I can know that on this day we do this and on this day we do this and I'm supposed to wear a dress at this part and a dress shirt at this part and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna check, 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 check my way through the next 10 days. But as soon as we leave those gates on Sunday, You know. You know. And we're believing that that's what Christianity is. And it's simply not. It's not. Following Jesus is more than knowing the right answers at the right time. Following Jesus is more than checking the box or wearing the right thing when you're supposed to wear it. Following Jesus is a way of radical heart and life change. And if you know Jesus, what we're going to read here tells us, 
you will never be the same. So I want to challenge you. If you claim to know Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but your life has not radically been changed, you might check yourself. You might check yourself. And I say this because I love you. I say this because somebody said it to me. I say that because of that. You know, you hear the old guys get up there and it's like, I wish somebody would have told me this when I was your age. Right? We all know that guy. I'm here to tell you somebody did. Somebody did tell me this when I was your age. I was the kid in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt that could check the boxes, that could start the clubs, that could make everybody think everything was okay. But I just didn't listen. It wasn't that nobody was telling me. It's that nobody was listening. It's that nobody cared. It's that I thought I knew better. I thought I deserved better. You don't want what you deserve. We don't want what we deserve. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the ruler of the power of the air the spirit now working in the disobedient we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also this is Paul writing this to the church at Ephesus and he's saying listen at the beginning of this I'd encourage you in your quiet time or whenever you go read your Bible in chapter one maybe we'll do this in the morning but I'd encourage you to go underline and circle everything that Paul says we are in Christ everything that Christ has secured for us through his death burial and resurrection but coming out of that section Paul is reminding this church he says you were dead you were dead in your trespasses and sins you were dead. If you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not trusted in him for salvation, you're dead. You're a dead person. And I know that you're like, wait a second, bro, I'm breathing right now. I feel more alive than I've ever felt. And when I'm doing those things, when I'm living in that sin, let me tell you, that's living, Christian. You don't know what living is. I disagree. You're dead. You're dead. And the choices you're making, the sin that you're actively living in, is leading you to destruction. But I, I want us to see here, for the person in the room that just heard me say you're dead, and you're like, good thing I'm alive. I want you to see the language that Paul uses here. You were dead in which in the trespasses that you previously walked. So what Paul is pointing to here, what he's teaching to the church at Ephesus, what he's saying to the Ephesians, he's saying, if you are still living in those trespasses, you might still be dead. Because what Paul points to here is that if you are no longer dead, if that is true, if you were dead in the ways that you previously walked, if you're currently walking in those ways, if you are currently living in that sin, I would challenge if you're truly alive. 
and that's in love. But Jesus says they'll know you're my disciples by your fruit, by your lifestyle, by the things that you're producing. And Paul is pointing to here that there has to be a shift. There has to be a turning away. There has to be a life change. You're living according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Paul's talking about we have surrendered and are living our lives under the power of Satan. That if we are living in sin, if we are living in the reality of this world, if we are continuing to surrender to our flesh, to our desires, we are serving the world. We are living for Satan. That's hard truth. It's not truth I love all the time, but it's the reality of the scriptures. It's the reality of what being a disciple of Jesus is. Is that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be people that were dead, if we're going to be people that were previously walking, then we need to change our lifestyles to align with God, His way, His truth, His life. Verse 4, though, here we go. If you write in your Bible, I'd encourage you, circle, underline, highlight right here. But God. But God. Even though you were dead, even though you were living in sin and the trespasses in the flesh, and you were surrendering to your desires, what the book of James tells us, that our desires are what give birth to sin in our lives. When we consistently surrender to our desires. He's saying you were dead. You were previously living under the power of Satan. You were living in your trespasses. You were dead. But God. You notice there it doesn't say, but Paul decided he'd, he'd be a good person. But Jenny decided she'd start reading her Bible more. But Tyler Decided to go start going to youth group. You see that? What's it say? But God. God is the only one who can change your life. And some of you in here, you're trying to do it without him. You're trying to live outside of his power and his presence. And I'm here to tell you, it's exhausting. And you're going to constantly find yourself burnt out. But if you'll surrender everything to him and allow him to be the one that changes your life, that changes your heart, that makes you brand new, that's the way. That's the only way. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. That God being rich in mercy because of his rich mercy, because of his love for us, he made us alive. That we have an opportunity. Paul is pointing to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, listen, you were dead. You were stuck in your trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy, provided you a way of rescue, provided for you a way out. And it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's because of his mercy, his love, his justice. That's why we can be Christians. That's why we can be saved. It's not about you checking all the right boxes. That doesn't mean we don't do good things, and we'll get to that. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. 
but we need to change the order. Because a lot of us are stuck in this way of like, well, if I just do enough stuff, if I go to enough camp meetings, read my Bible enough, say the right things when I'm supposed to say them, eventually, no. It's because God was rich in mercy. It's because God is love. It's because God has rescued us. It's because God sent Christ that we, we've given our lives to him. And now, because of that, now we do what we do. That's why you read your Bible. It's not so that. It's because that. That's why you pray. That's why you worship him. That's why you serve. That's why you love your neighbor. That's why you obey your parents. It's all out of response of what Jesus has done for you. Because he loves you, bro. But so many of us are stuck in this false narrative, this false gospel, that if I just do enough, my obedience equals God's obligation like Paul was talking about last night. And we're trying to check all the boxes, and we've never actually truly surrendered our whole entire heart to Jesus. And we're whitewashing tombs. But God provided a path of salvation. He provided a way for us, the person of Jesus Christ. He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You, 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 you. You are saved by grace. You're saved by grace. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by knowing the right things to do at the right time. You are saved by grace. You're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. Dads that can hear me in here, you're saved by grace. Your kids, they're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. It's not about checking boxes. That's not going to be what saves you. That might be a response to our salvation. That might be a heart response that because Christ saved us, that because he saved us by grace through faith, that no one can boast, not by works. Now our response is a heart built to serve, worship, and glorify him. But it's because he's changed our heart. Because at the end of the day, if you're trying to change your heart, you'll never change it. It's the Christ in you that worship is God. It's the spirit of God flowing through you that serves the world around you. Too many of us think way too highly of ourselves and way too lowly about the spirit of God. We think we can do it, and we don't need his help. We think we're the answer, and he's the sprinkle on top. And we're thinking way too highly of self, and way too lowly of a king of kings, a lord of lords, God of the universe. But you're saved by grace, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a free 
gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. I don't know who needed to hear that. But salvation is a free gift. And there's not enough be a good person in you to save yourself. It's a heart response and a heart surrender. And then it's the spirit of God through you that now changes the world around you and changes your life. Some of you in here, you need to quit trying to do it on your own. And you need to surrender. We're living our lives like this. I'm just going to hang on as tight as I can. I'm just going to do everything I can. I'm just gonna, I just got to hold on a little bit longer. I just got to do a little bit more. I'm just, and then, Everybody clench your fist as tight as you can right now. Clench them as tight as you can. As tight as you can. Let's go. I know there's some strength in here. If you're too cool for this, whatever. But clench as tight as you can. You feel that? You feel that tension? You, see, you feel that pressure in your knuckles? A little bit of pain now? Keep clenching it. Keep clenching it. That's how some of you are living the Christian life. That's how some of you are living the Christian life. Let it go. That's what Christ came to offer you. Freedom. Release. A new way. A new life that's dependent on him. It's not about hanging on tighter. It's about surrendering more. It's about surrendering more. So that leads to the question that I think some of us in here have, if we're being honest. Why do I need the gospel? Why do I need the gospel? My life's pretty good without it. Is it? Yeah, you know, man, I've just I've built an identity on these things, and at the end of the day, that's just who I am. And I keep going back to the opposite sex. I keep going back to the things on my computer in the dark places. I keep going back to sports. I keep going back to the secret places in my heart. You satisfied yet? Let me tell you, it'll never be enough. Why do I need the gospel? The book of 1 John tells us it's because the one who has the Son has life. And the one who does not have the Son does not have life. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are living the lie that life exists outside of him. You're living the lie. You are believing the cultural narrative that you can achieve your best life, that if you can just build it up around your desires, your, your, the things you like, the things that make you feel good, your tingles, then that's your life. And we are stuck believing the lie that life exists outside of the person of Jesus Christ. But 1 John 5.12 tells us, that if you have the Son of God, you have life. That means if you've surrendered everything to him, if you've trusted in him for salvation, by grace, through faith, you've received the free gift of God's mercy and love, then you have life. But if you don't have the Son of God, if you've just got some works, if you've just got some habits, if you've just got some tradition, you may not have life. And I'd encourage you to ask the Lord, Lord, do I truly know you or do I just know about you? But I love in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, 
we see David is, 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 is talking about the forgiving God. And he, he, he shows us some things here that I want us to see. Because I think sometimes, like we talked about a couple mornings ago, this short-sighted gospel. We get stuck of what is the gospel? What does the gospel imply for my life? And what we see here is the gospel offers you so much more than you could ever imagine. Than you could ever dream of. Just right here in Psalm 103. My soul bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord. And do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with the faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with the good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate, is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. That's for somebody in here today. Because the experience you have right now with a father isn't one that's slow to anger, isn't one that's compassionate, isn't one that's abounding in faithful love. But I want you to know you have a father in heaven that loves you. Despite your sin, even though you've made those mistakes, he loves you. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. Will you let him be that father? Will you let him be that? He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Remember I told us, we don't want what we deserve. Every single one of us in here deserve death. Every single one of us in here. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. And we talked about that. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him. And his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precept, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. That is the truth of the gospel, that there is a loving father that has compassion on you, that wants you to experience the fullness of his love, 
that he's not just this mad God in the sky, but he is a just and merciful God that sent his only son to take on death, to satisfy that wrath, to pay the price for our sin that you and I could never pay. And it provided for us a rescue. It provided for us a way out. But he didn't just stay dead. He rose from that grave three days later, defeating Satan's sin and death forever. So we don't have to live stuck in the past. We don't have to live stuck in our old ways. We don't have to live in our shame because Jesus defeated it forever. And then he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God. And he's a picture of perfect, finished work. So that leads to the question, will you let him finish the work in your life? Some of you, you're standing on the sideline, stuck in your shame, in your doubts, and in your fears. And God's screaming, jailbreak. Jailbreak, will you come home to me? Will you come experience the freedom that I've secured for you? Will you come and be healed? Will you come and be redeemed? Will you understand that you are adopted and that I have satisfied the deepest of your heart's desires? The band's going to come back up here. I'm going to encourage you to clear a space, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I've watched you guys do this before, and some of you think you don't have to bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't care if you take a nap, but just bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Don't mess with the person next to you, because I want to encourage you. You're not the Spirit of God, and you don't know what he might be trying to do in somebody's life. So don't get in the way of that. Don't get in the way of that. If you want to sit there and check out, feel free. But don't mess with the person next to you. Galatians 5 tells us we were called to be free. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity but the, for the flesh, but to serve one another through love. The gospel is for everyone, and it's for you. Will you surrender to it?